Welcome to the Mind Body Breakthroughs Podcast, where we bring you amazing guests on the cutting edge of science, health, and business each week to share strategies you can use to get the breakthrough that you are looking for in your life. I am your host, Chris Donahue, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Nevada Gray. We're so glad that you're joining us today, and we'd like to invite you to join our free, private Facebook community, Mind Body Breakthroughs. The views expressed on the Mind Body Breakthroughs podcast are the opinions of the hosts and guests and are not to be taken as medical advice, as the hosts and guests do not provide medical care. Information provided is for educational purposes only. You should consult your medical provider in relation to your personal health and prior to making any changes in your diet or fitness. Proud affiliate of Redmond Real Salt, the best tasting and most mineral rich salt on the market without the microplastics and other issues of conventional salts. See the show notes for 15% off your order. Zach Bitter is an extreme endurance athlete and coach with a focus on ultra marathon foot races. He holds the American record for 100 miles, world record for 12 hours, and fastest known time for 100 miles on a certified trail. He is a three-time national champion and has represented Team USA at the World 100-Kilometer Championships on three occasions. Zach co-hosts the very popular and successful Human Performance Outliers podcast with Dr. Sean Baker. Zach Bitter, welcome to the program, brother. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be uh, a guest on your show. Welcome, Zach. We're so excited that you're here today. Zach, so I think that a lot of our audience knows of you and who you are, but for those who don't, just tell us a little bit about yourself, about your journey. Yeah, so I guess um, if I'm going to label myself, I would call myself an extreme endurance athlete, uh, specifically with running. Uh, I like to bike, but just not at a competitive level, and I, I definitely can't swim at a competitive level. So, uh, extreme endurance, ultra marathon running is, I guess, what you maybe would call it. What your listeners will maybe think of when they hear that. And essentially, what that is is uh, kind of by de- or by by definition, anything from 50 kilometers and above. And you can see you see things from you know 50 kilometers all the way up to like six day events. And and then there's some things that are even longer. There's actually a race in New York that goes around like a half mile loop for uh, 3,100 miles, I think, or something like that. So there's all sorts of crazy stuff within that, under that umbrella of ultra marathon. And uh, I wasn't always an ultra marathon runner. You know, I got into running when I was pretty young. I did, uh, it was actually the presidential physical fitness challenge that first introduced me to, you know, running anything but like a sprint essentially. And uh, one thing I noticed when doing that was I had a really small class. So, uh, I mean, it wasn't a huge feat by any means, but I, but I ran the fastest mile out of all my classmates. And I thought that was kind of interesting because I had a, there was a few classmates of mine who could easily dust me in the hundred meter dash or the 200 meter or something like that. So I thought that was kind of interesting that, you know, in my middle school primitive brain and my thought was, well, if you're faster than someone at hundred meters, they're, they're probably faster than you at everything. And, uh, so that was kind of my intro into like the difference between, uh, I guess sprinting and endurance, and uh, from there, just kind of gradually 
uh, became a part of my life. I didn't really take it too seriously until the end of my high school. And then uh, I ran track and cross country for a couple of years at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point, which is a, a, a fairly competitive Division three school in Wisconsin. And I started to really learn a lot about kind of the methodology of training, like, you know, how you periodize to peak for a specific distance or a specific uh, event. And one thing I kind of recognized through doing that process, because when you're racing things like five kilometers to 10 kilometers, you kind of hit all the different systems of training from short intervals uh, to kind of long runs and everything in between. And I quickly realized that my favorite run of the week was the long run. So after I got done with college, I uh, was a bit tired of doing speed work. So I just started doing a lot of long runs and that kind of led me into the world of ultra marathon running. And I've been, been doing that more or less since the end of 2010. That's awesome. Um, I think it's, it's so hard for most people to get their mind around just a uh, 5K because that's a goal for a lot of people when they first start losing weight and, and getting into fitness. Um, when you were first getting into fitness and, and running, what are some of the uh, barriers or challenges that you had and, and how did you overcome that? And what advice would you have for people that are interested in running their first 5K? Yeah, you know, I think... Uh... The, one of the more interesting things that I think about endurance is, and endurance, I mean, I'm talking about anything from like, say, you know, even a 1500 meter all the way up to some of these insanely long ultra marathons. Uh, but really it's a patient, patient person's game. So like you can have a really good training cycle or a really good build up to a, a specific race and then the race might not go well, but that doesn't mean that you didn't gain anything. It doesn't mean that you, you didn't make improvements. It just means it didn't surface in that one event. So, uh, you know, one of the things I've learned to kind of focus on more uh, is enjoying the process and kind of getting an idea of like kind of having goals along the way and have motivation and incentive to be doing what I'm doing on the day to day versus just trying to say, get the best race I can possibly get or get a PR. Uh, I mean, running PRs and, and doing well and improving in races is great. It feels awesome. Uh, I won't lie. <laughs> but uh it's also like, you know, one of those things where you want it to be a lifestyle that you enjoy and you want it to be a lifestyle that's that's sustainable. So developing consistency is huge and consistency is going to be different for every person. You know, for someone like myself who's been running endurance, uh, you know, for the better part of half my life, you know, I essentially micro stress my body over and over and over again in the last uh, you know, 10, 15 years to the point where consistency can be look like an enormous amount of training uh, compared to what you might see the average person doing who isn't an endurance athlete or hasn't been an endurance athlete historically. So being consistent within where you're at and not being ashamed of that and not being like or feel like you're not doing enough because you see your friend who's been running for three years doing twice as much as you are. Uh, so kind of starting out at, at where you're at is fine. And it, it's actually funny. I was... Uh, um, listening to one of the podcasts that we recorded back when, when Sean uh, Baker and I first started our podcast, I think it was like episode nine, we had Chris Bell on and, and he was talking about uh, the super training gym that he and his brother Mark have. And they do this, I, I think they still do it. They have this, uh, this program where it's called like the 10 minute walk. And it's just like, they get a group of people who are trying to kind of jumpstart fitness. They're trying to start to get back or, or get, get into a consistent routine. And uh, they'll do it as simple as a 10-minute walk just to get people 
kind of in that routine, in that process of, of holding themselves accountable and starting where they're at. And I think that's so awesome because, you know, if you're, if you're someone who's looking to get into shape or you're start working out for the first time, there's nothing wrong with a 10 minute walk. A 10 minute walk might be more than what you've been doing. So that's what I would call a micro stress. So you're going to do that and you're going to improve on that. And then, you know, down the road, you're going to look back at that and you're going to smile and you're going to be like, that's where I started. Now look where I am now. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that, Zach. And, you know, for myself, having been uh, over 500 pounds and really unable to walk for almost two decades, um, you know, that's exactly what I did. I, I, I walked down the street as far as I could and stopped. And then the mm-hmm. next day I said, I'm going to go to the next tree. And I made it to that tree and then just keep doing it every day. And now, you know, in a couple of weeks, I'll be doing, you know, my my first 5K. So I'm super excited about that. And uh, Nevada says it's addictive that I'll be, <laughs> yes. I'll be doing 5Ks and 10Ks. And I don't know if I'm going to join you in the 100, the 100 mile once, but uh, you never know. Exciting. You know, when I uh, when I first met with my college cross country coach, she was giving me kind of a rundown of what the the training protocol was for the variety of different student or the different levels of the freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors on the team. And he basically told me, he's like, well, the freshmen are usually running like 50 miles a week, and by the time they're juniors and seniors, you know, they might hit 100 mile training weeks during the summer when they're building their base. And I remember thinking, and I'll never forget this, that I will never run a 90 mile week in my life. And you know, now I'm running. 100 mile races in a day sometimes. So like, it's one of those things where you never know where you're going to end up until you end up there. But you highlighted something really interesting too. And it was just like the, the goal setting process, because I think it's really interesting when you think about it, because I think you, you kind of need tandem goals, but you have to keep them in perspective. So you want to kind of keep your eye on the prize or focus on where you're trying to get. So if you're someone who's just trying to get in you know, start to get active and, and lose some weight, you want that goal weight or that goal activity level to be in the back of your mind. But you don't want to be so hyper-focused on that that you lose sight of the small goals along the way that are also fulfilling or, you know, get discouraged because, you know, your your peak goal or your optimal goal is years down the road. So for you saying like, you know, you're going to do a 5K, but when you started at first it was, I'm just going to get to that tree. That's that kind of mini goal along the way, that that step that, you know, you can take a lot of gratification and a lot of um, uh, a lot of I think just building that confidence, that mental confidence by achieving those small goals, too, and not forgetting that those are part of the plan, part of the process. Yes, that's such an important uh, point. And I, I just had a question for you. I actually have two questions for you. Um, my first question is, do you use visualization? Um, in in your races, how do you get through when you're at the hardest part in your race? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, halfway, whatever mile that is. How do you get through to be able to finish that race when your body wants to quit? And with that being said, I've read that you do the ketogenic diet. And how do you find that the ketogenic diet has optimized your performance and your uh, PRs in racing? Yeah, yeah. So. Um... First question, uh, it's, a, it's a great question because when I think of like, especially like I think when you get into like the 100 mile distance, you're, it, it ends up kind of being almost like a condensed version of the entire training plan where, or kind of what we talked about before, where if I start thinking of finishing at mile five, I'm going to just stress myself out mentally so much I'm going to be a wreck before I get halfway through. Um, but I also want to be 
semi cognizant that that is what I'm doing. So I don't like run too fast or, you know, not hit the splits I'm trying to hit because I'm not focused on the process that I need to do along the way. Uh, but at the same time, I want to keep things into like bite-sized chunks or smaller chunks in order to like make it manageable, be able to wrap my head around it. So the visualizing side of things definitely plays a big role in that. Um, and sometimes I think it differs a bit depending on the terrain. The other kind of unique thing about ultra marathons is uh, you get like such a variety of trains. You might be in the mountains 10,000 feet above sea level, climbing and descending all day, or you might be on a 400 meter track with, you know, zero inches of elevation gain and loss. Uh, but they're both, they're all ultra marathons. So the trails, those ones tend to be a little more remote. Uh, you have aid stations. Those offer up really good little like built in benchmarks. So you can say like, well, I'm going to focus on visualizing getting to that next aid station that's five miles away versus I'm at mile 10. I need to get to mile 99 as fast as possible kind of a mindset. So kind of breaking it down in that, that, and then on the track, it's a little different because uh, or a road or something that's a little more monotonous because you're kind of fighting that boredom slash, uh, you know, I'm here on the same little spot. There's not a whole lot of like change in environment that's motivating me. There's not a lot of change in terrain that's going to motivate me. You're doing the same thing over and over and over again. So in, in those, I'm almost trying to like visualize that I'm somewhere else. And one thing I'll do in an event like that is uh, I'll, I'll carry that same mindset where I'm trying to break it down into small chunks. But I might, since I don't have like an aid station five miles away, that's a good spot to try to get to. I'll just try to pretend, okay, these next five miles, I'm going to pretend I'm on a five mile route that I do at home that I know really well and just visualize where I would be at on that route and try to kind of separate my mind or my brain from uh, um, the actual spot I'm at, which sometimes is a 400 meter track and a bit monotonous. And then uh, the keto diet. So yeah, it, that's that's been an interesting uh kind of part of, of my training and racing, I guess. And it's interesting to me too, because like when I did it, when I, when I first started, it was like end of 2011. So I've been doing it for almost about eight years now. And, uh, I didn't really do it as a, with any real objective outside of just, uh, trying to improve my own training, racing, and energy levels from a day-to-day, day-to-day life. Uh, essentially what ended up kind of happening was in, at the end of 2011, I did what I would call my first kind of full season of ultra marathons, where at the end of the year, I did 350 mile races. And uh, at the end of that, I noticed like it was like things were starting to kind of change in the way like I felt outside of the training and racing. I felt pretty decent in workouts, I felt fine in the races and stuff like that. I wasn't like noticing any like gaping flaws there. But what I was noticing that I saw as kind of like red flags was uh, my my sleep was very starting to become very inconsistent, which was weird for me because I'd always been a really good sleeper my whole life. Uh, but I'd be waking up three, four times a night sometimes, uh, and then I'd have like kind of a more of a roller coaster energy level while at work. Felt like I could take a nap every afternoon. That sort of kind of um, inconsistent energy levels and kind of the same time I started listening to a lot of podcasts and then following up on some of the resource notes they'd have, uh, after listening to those. And then that's when I kind of was first presented with like, there's an alternative to just, uh, you know, the more, more, uh, advertised, I guess, high carb approach to endurance. And it makes sense to me from this mainly because I mean, I'm a, I was an ultra marathon athlete. So like, 
one thing maybe we can get into too if you want if you want to talk about kind of how to train for a, for an endurance event is you kind of want to work backwards so the by work backwards i mean you might do all the systems of training throughout the course of your plan but you're always going to want to put like the key workouts and the key sessions um, that are closest to your race intensity closest to the race so if i'm training for a hundred mile race it behooves me to be very conservative early on because i'm going to be out there all day and you know that's just a very low system of uh intensity so it made a lot of sense to me that you know there may be some application for that sort of a diet within my sport and uh you know i had heard uh probably at the time more anecdotal uh claims about just more consistent energy and uh better sleep with folks following the ketogenic diet so i thought you know why not give it a shot if it doesn't work i can always go back to eating the way i was and um so i did that and uh i actually had a fairly smooth transition compared to what sometimes you hear. Um, I would say from a training standpoint, I probably was uh, fortunate that I had access to guys like Dr. Jeff Bollock and Dr. Stephen Finney. So I knew kind of a few of the pitfalls that you could kind of get tripped up by if you, you know, went into it, doing it the wrong way or missing some of the key, key things. So I made sure to kind of implement it in the off season. So I wasn't kind of in the middle of a big training block and stressing my body in a variety of different ways. And, uh, so after about, I don't know, maybe four weeks, I noticed like the easy runs I had been doing were starting to kind of renormalize, starting to kind of hit the same pace at the same intensity. And then it was just kind of a balancing act as to like, well, here's the classical ketogenic diet, which a lot of people are going to either define by like kind of a parameter of blood millimoles, uh, blood ketones by millimoles or, like a certain amount of grams of carbohydrate per day, like typically you'll see like 30 to 50 grams or something in, in around that, that range. So then it was about kind of matching my lifestyle of an ultra marathon runner within the context of the diet, which is a little tricky just because my lifestyle changes quite a bit. So, you know, I might be on an off season where I'm focusing primarily on recovery and, and, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to like to get on move around a bit, but not nearly to the level I would be during a compete training phase. So like, how does my nutrition or how does my utilization of a high fat, low carb diet work in those timeframes versus timeframes during the year where I'm trying to peak for a race and maybe training upwards of 20 hours. And uh, for me, that's just been kind of a more like cyclical use of small amounts of carbohydrate, depending on where I am in training. So I'll do like a little bit more carbohydrate relative to a classic ketogenic diet when I'm in my peak training phases as more performance-based uh, application. And then when I'm not focused on on performance and focused on recovery, that's when I'll drop them low. And sometimes I'll even, you know, tease like a zero, a zero carb kind of approach during those phases of training even. So it gets a little hard to pin me down <laughs> with a label because it's like, you know, my, my kind of running joke at this point is like, someone will say, hey, is, is Zach a ketogenic athlete or is Zach a high carb athlete or is Zach this, that, or the other thing? diet wise and I'm like, well, what, what part of the year are we talking about? <laughs> which, which day are we talking about? <laughs> so, um, I would say I'm definitely high fat, low carb. Uh, if you look at kind of like the averages of my macronutrients throughout the course of the year, when you average in the days that I eat the most carbohydrates and the days where I eat the last and everything in between, I'm probably hitting around 10% carbohydrate intake, um, overall for the high course of the year. So, um, I think I probably fall into that camp if, if you want to put a label on it. That's cool. So what, what would you say for, um, 
you know, those people that they're, they want to accomplish something in their life. Like they feel called to do something. They feel like there are some limitations that, that, that they can blow through, but they just, they're just not sure how, like what kind of advice would you give them about breaking through limitations? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. So, um, I think like, you know, part of, I think part of the fun of any kind of journey, whether it's for health, for fitness or anything really is that you don't always know. Um, you know, if it was super easy, I mean, it'd be convenient in some scenarios, but it would also be kind of boring. I think part of the process is wrapping your head around the fact that there are going to be mistakes made along the way. Um, you're an individual, so things may work differently for you as opposed to how they did for someone else. Um, so I think like when it comes to breaking through plateaus and things like that, it just, it, it behooves you to have an open mind, behooves you to be kind of willing to listen to other people. And I, and I think when you approach other people or resources, regardless of whether they're kind of the polar opposite of what you, you believe as this person likely knows at least something, uh, that I don't know that could be useful to me, then you stand a much greater chance of learning something new and being able to, uh, you know, kind of do a more trial and error or more like individualized approach to try to figure out what's going to work best for you ultimately. And, and, you know, it's, it's an interesting time because, you know, we have access to so much information and, and that, and that's great, but it's also puts you up to this situation where I think sometimes people feel like they have to know everything about everything just because there's all that information there. And a lot of times that information is conflicting with each other. So I think at the core, you have to kind of scale things down to the individual level and, and recognize that you are an individual. You know, you may be doing something similar to someone else, but there's still differences there that you maybe want to try to keep and be aware of and, and use those as kind of, um, or, or keep that in mind as you're kind of putting things in and, and deciding what's going to work or not going to work for you. So I had a question for you. You have an amazing podcast is actually one of my favorite podcasts. And I know Chris is, is a listener to the HPO podcast with uh, Dr. Baker. What got you into uh, podcasting? Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. I, uh, like I kind of said earlier, I started listening to podcasts quite a bit early on in my ultra marathon uh, career, I guess you could call it. And one of the reasons I did that was because I started looking at kind of my training and and at the time I was a full-time teacher. So I was putting in, you know, full work days that there as well. And, um, it was almost out of guilt. I was looking at how much running I was doing. I was like, I gotta be able to do something during this that can justify the amount of time I'm investing in this sport. And the thing that, uh, first popped up was, you know, I can learn something on podcasts. So I started listening to them. And then when I started having a bit of success with an ultra marathon running, I started getting asked to come on some podcasts and I really started to enjoy that kind of platform. I'm kind of more interested in the long form stuff than I am kind of the brief snippets that you get on social media. Um, so I started going on a lot of podcasts and a few years ago I started thinking about like, you know, starting one of my own because it was like, I know the other side of that kind of framework really well at this point. Let's, I wonder what it's like to do it myself. And, uh, at the same time, I wasn't really sure I wanted to do like a solo podcast. Uh, I thought it might be more fun to kind of have a co-host. And at the same time, I thought it'd be interesting to have someone who had some similarities with me, but also some very big differences. So I actually reached out to Dr. Sean Baker probably two years ago at this point. And because you know, he follows 
a fairly similar nutritional approach to uh, that I do. And, uh, but he's on the opposite end of the spectrum athletically. You know, he's literally almost twice as big as me and he's doing super short, high intensity stuff. And I'm, you know, running all day long. <laughs> so it's like, we have these two almost polar opposite athletic endeavors, but we have fairly similar, uh, nutritional approaches. Uh, so I thought that'd be kind of a, an interesting dynamic in, uh, we started it with, uh, you know, we, we call it human performance outliers podcast and we weren't necessarily committed to, or sure, like what direction the podcast was going to go. We were very open to kind of letting it take its own course. And, uh, uh, I think we maybe thought in the beginning we'd interview mostly athletes and then, you know, bring on some other resources along the way. But what ultimately ended up happening is we ended up bringing on mostly resources and then we'll have a, a spattering of of athletes and then some like lifestyle transformation type folks too that have uh you know taken ownership of their health uh you know found out what works for them and then carved that path forward uh through their own intuition or their own uh kind of n equals one experiment i think that's been a cool aspect because i mean i've learned way more than i ever thought i would from the podcast just from the number of doctors and phds and professors and that come on the show and uh you know sometimes i'm just treading water trying to keep up with them. But, you know, thankfully for me, I get to edit the podcast. So I usually listen to it twice. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, and then it's also really, really motivating to have the folks come on and, um, and both of you have been guests too. So I should have, I should have actually looked that up and seen what, try to remember which uh, episode number you were so we could remind your audience if they wanted to check out and listen to you guys getting interviewed by us. Yes, I was 123, and I only remember because 23 is my one of my favorite numbers. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Chris, do you remember your episode number? I don't. I think it was like 68 or something. I'll have to look. Okay. It I can maybe find it really quick, too. I, I should, it shouldn't be too difficult. But Yeah, but yeah. That's, how, that's how I met first met Chris. I, I heard him on the episode, and then I oh, reached really? out to him. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Good deal. We're doing something right then. <laughs> oh yeah, you guys yeah. are doing an amazing job, changing lives, saving lives. I I want to ask you too, just a little bit about the you know being on the podcast and getting to interview all of these just amazing guests and high level people. Like, do you have any insights you can share? Like, just things that you've picked up and and uh, you know observations that you've made. Yeah, um, I would say like there's a few things that I've been really interested in and, and applied more or less that I may, may have never gotten to the point where I was introduced to the information. Maybe I would have, but uh, it certainly wouldn't have been at as fast and as detailed as it was when you get the, the, the person doing the research telling you what's happening. It's a little more uh, expedited. And I, I think protein is a big one with that. Um, when I first started kind of a high fat, low carb diet, the message was more or less at most moderate protein, if not low, because, you know, the protein can be converted into, uh, converted into glucose, uh, through a process called the gluconeogenesis. And, you know, it just, it almost got kind of a, a negative connotation more or less. So, uh, you know, we've had some pretty interesting the tip of the spear when it comes to protein research, like Professor Don Lehman, Professor Stu Phillips, uh, Professor Jose Antonio coming on the show and talking about just like the role of protein, quality protein versus low quality protein and like athletes versus the average person's um, needs for protein. Uh, and then like, you know, some 
other things too, like endurance athletes versus strength athletes and like, do strength athletes need more protein than endurance athletes and things like that. And, uh, my take home message from that was really just like, we've, if anything, been undervaluing the role of protein in, uh, just general health and nutrition and then sometimes demonizing it unjustly. Uh, so that was been a big takeaway and I've definitely been a little more relaxed on that. I'm not going out of the way to just pound protein at super high levels, but you can imagine, you know, when you have a scenario where you have someone my size running three, four, something five hours in a training session, the amount of food I'm going to eat relative to the size I am is, is, uh, uh, is large. So like, you know, my protein intake can get fairly high just based on the amount of like food volume I'll, I'll eat. And I'm a little more relaxed about that. Um, the other thing too, is just throughout the course, you know, the eight years I've been doing kind of this periodized high fat, low carb approach. Uh, I've been, I've like kind of like fluctuated and like reduced the amount of meat I'll eat or animal products I'll eat during that. I've done phases where I try to keep that really, really low where it's still a high fat, low carb diet. But if you would actually like put all the food I ate that day down on a table and looked at it, it would look much closer to a plant-based diet. Um, whereas now, you know, in the last year, year and a half, it's kind of, that's been flipped on its head. I would say the majority of my intake is, is animal-based products. And then, you know, or the foundation, I should say, maybe of, of my nutrition is there. And then I will add things to that dependent upon my lifestyle context. So like the level of training I'm doing at the time. So that's another big thing that I've kind of learned and adjusted based on the podcast. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, because you guys have amazing guests. I actually have, um, notebooks. I'm showing you my notebook uh, of notes just taken from the podcast and things that I've applied to my life and my training and that I've implemented because, as you know, I had a spinal cord injury just from what I've learned. So you guys have impacted so many people. I believe we've had over a million downloads at this point, correct? I think I saw a post about that a while back. Yeah, yeah. We might even be getting close to two million at this point. Yeah. It's been, uh, we, were, we've been, we were fortunate. We uh, had... Uh, a pretty big growth spurt fairly early on and then we had another pretty decent growth spurt when we started releasing three episodes a week so um we kind of got up to a pretty high download per episode rate fairly early and um we certainly have a lot of, of, of thanks to the folks who've spread the word about that and been kind of our kind of core listening group who uh kept tuning in downloading liking sharing and all that stuff uh so i mean that's been kind of cool and you know one thing we're starting to do we started last week that I've had in the back of my mind for a while. It's just one of those things where like at the end of the day, like it's like, where do you find time for everything? And uh, one of it is, I mean, we do long form podcasts. So a lot of them hit an hour to sometimes two hours. I think we've had a couple that have gone over two hours even. And, you know, that's fine for podcasts or audio only. I mean, folks are usually looking for a little longer listening experience, I think, on those. And we also put our stuff up on YouTube and the YouTube community is interesting because they are uh, a little more um, uh, kind of a attention deficit, perhaps. <laughs> so they're looking for that kind of five to maybe 12 minute, 15 maybe minute clip. Um, that's how much attention they're going to give you. And um, then they're going to move on to something else. So you put up a 90 minute podcast on YouTube. It's like you'll get a group of people who really want to hear it or, uh, or get the information. They'll listen to it. But most people are looking for those smaller stuff. So one thing I've been doing now that we've got think we've recorded 156 or something like that episodes at this point uh so i've got this massive library of uh deep dive podcasts 
And I'm going through some of the old ones and taking standalone questions out of them and making kind of these five to maybe 12 minute YouTube videos to put up. And um, hopefully I can kind of keep up with that because that'd be fun to release like maybe, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 10 to 12 of those every week. So people who want to kind of just check into one episode question and, and move on can. And, you know, I might bring in a new listener, too, who picks up one of those standalone questions and then says, oh, I got to hear the rest of this interview and goes and checks out some of the old stuff, too. So um, it's a cool kind of uh, realm, the podcasting stuff, as I'm sure you guys can attest to. <laughs> yes, it's it's so much fun. Chris and I are having so much fun. It's almost as if we're cheating because now um, I don't have to, you know, go and read the study. Somebody's actually telling us all about it. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll still read it, but. It, just to have that insight and, and everything that we're learning, I feel like my education has been um, sped up as if I was, you know, versus just uh, doing it on my own and spending hours on yeah. PubMed. So it, it's, you guys have, you're an amazing resource uh, for the community. Besides the podcast, what other projects do you have going on? Yeah, so uh, I'm kind of, maybe, perhaps this is a personality flaw, but I, I, I can't, I have a hard time, I think, doing any one thing for more than like, 15 to 20 hours a week. So I tried to do like a little bit of a few things and that's kind of how I've done things for the last few years. So I do uh, obviously the training and racing stuff that, that takes up a good chunk of my time. And I've been very fortunate to be partnered up with some good sponsors within within the sport. So uh, that, that helps out, gives me some more, it allows me to allocate some a little more time to that sort of stuff. Um, I also work for one of my main sponsors, Ultra Footwear. They, uh, They've grown a ton the last few years since I've been with them as an athlete, and they've they'd asked me back in 2015 if I wanted to help out with some of their marketing initiatives. So I've been always given the opportunity to do some work for them outside of just the training and racing stuff and stuff I really enjoy too, like uh, doing running clinics, putting on uh, that sort of stuff, helping out at events, at expos, and and that sort of stuff. So that takes up a, a chunk of my week, and then and then I do coaching and consulting too probably a bit more consulting these days than anything. Uh, I think partly that is due to, I kind of have my foot, I have one foot in the kind of ultra marathon world and then another foot kind of in the health and nutrition world, partly just because um, I'm definitely in the minority with uh, using a high fat, low carb approach to endurance. So there's just not a lot of resources for people out there. There's not a lot of coaches who are gonna feel confident enough to, to guide someone in that approach. And I like to tell people after eight years of playing around with it, I've made all the mistakes. So if you're worried about making mistakes, I can probably help you avoid them. Uh, so I do a lot of the console calls and that's really opened up the world of health and fitness in general, just because, you know, if you're someone who is training for a triathlon or training just, uh, you know, in the gym or doing strength and stuff, and you think there's some efficacy in a high fat, low carb diet for your own approach uh you know those folks aren't afraid to sign up for a console call with me whereas if they wanted if they were going to reach out to me as a coach you know someone going to the gym trying to get bigger and stronger is probably not going to hire me as a coach because they've got no interest in running 100 miles <laughs> so that's been a lot of fun to do that sort of stuff too yes it's definitely rewarding because i get asked uh, a lot of questions on my instagrams and, and dm uh regarding running and stuff like that and i i don't know if they just don't know my story uh I've had a spinal cord injury, so I haven't done a marathon yet. But I, I do send quite a few people um, over to your Instagram 
um, as a resource because you're you're a great resource. Um, so Chris and so I that's appreciate. That's why I've got such an influx in Instagram messages. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so Chris and I, we really commend you for everything that you're doing in the community. And you're such an inspiring person. You, you inspire me personally. I love uh, following your journey on Instagram and learning from you. And with that being said, what would you like your legacy to be in the world? Yeah. That's a good question. And uh, I think uh, ultimately not a negative one. But <laughs> um, I, I think I, I look at this in kind of a couple different ways. Um, I'm a little unique in the North American ultra marathon scene in that there's been kind of different iterations in kind of how the sport has ebbed and flowed over the years. And this most recent kind of upsurge that we've seen has been heavily geared towards kind of trail and mountain type of ultra marathons. And, uh, you know, when I first got into ultra marathon, I lived in Wisconsin and, and recognized pretty early on that specificity is kind of key. So like having flat roads to train on meant I should be picking flat scenario or flat environments to race in. And through that process, I, I kind of got really interested in um, really interested in kind of like chasing times and tracing records and that side of the sport. And for so for me, if, if my legacy could be in ultra marathon to have generated more interest in that aspect of the sport, I'd be thrilled. And I we're starting to see that we're starting to see a lot more people kind of get into that type of stuff. So if I can play any role in kind of motivating kind of the next wave of young ultra marathon runners to uh, chase fast times on the road, that'd be pretty cool. Um, and then the other thing too is just, uh, I, I would hope that people would take from my experience that it does behoove you to treat yourself as an individual. Don't be afraid to be an N equals one experiment, keep an open mind and find what's gonna work for you. And you know, ultra marathoning is a crazy sport and there just really isn't a whole lot of information on it like there is in some of the more classical distances like 5Ks and 10Ks. So to a degree, you do have to treat yourself as a unique experience and kind of find that out. So if people can look at my process and that gives them confidence to, you know, find their own path to success through trial and error and N equals one and that sort of thing, then I, I, I would love to, to love to be part of that drive. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Zach, you've done an amazing job, and I have no doubt that uh, some of your best days are yet to come. I know you've got some some more uh, records and accomplishments that we'll be excited to cheer cheer along with you. But tell these guys, how can they reach out to you? How can they find you? Yeah, so the quickest way to kind of all the stuff is if they just go to my website at zachbitter.com, Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R. Um, you can link to... Uh, all my stuff from there. I'm probably more active on like Instagram and Twitter than I am other platforms. Uh, Instagram is at Zach Bitter and then Twitter is at Z Bitter. Um, but yeah, don't hesitate to reach out. I usually dedicate a couple hours a week to just responding to people who reach out, whether it's through my website contact form or on social media. Uh, sometimes I get bogged down, so don't, don't, uh, don't feel bad if I don't get back to you right away, but I'll try my best to get back to you at some point. Yes, it's hard to keep up with all the messages. <laughs> it, it truly is. <laughs> yes, well, this has been a pleasure today. Thank you so much for coming on. I know our listeners are going to um, get so much advice and insight and inspiration. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And uh, I'll be looking forward to sharing it and checking out my co-host's episode, too. Yes. Uh, that's exactly. Uh...
Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today, Mind Body Breakthrough. Chris and I truly appreciate each and every one of you. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend and to join us in our free Mind Body Breakthrough Facebook community where you can start peeling away the layers of everything that's not you so you can be you.